become misfortune. <laughs> I'm watching you. Hey guys, welcome to episode 37 of Macabre Misfortunes. What up guys? So today's going to be a, um, we're, we're going to kind of go back to the kind of episodes we did in the very beginning. Okay. So we'll get away from the uh, people found missing in, <laughs> in between walls and in the stairwells of shopping centers and stuff like that. Shoo, I know, that's And we'll crazy. go back to a good old disaster. Oh, yay. <laughs> but anyways... Uh, I want to also say that for the second time on Macabre Misfortunes, we are going to have an interview after this one. And here's why. Why? I had, I got a chance to interview two people that are going to be guests at CryptidCon, which is next weekend. Oh my gosh. And if I didn't play one today and one tomorrow, there's no way I'd be able to get them both in before the actual convention. Good. I'm so excited for CryptidCon. So it's going to be a blast. Uh, but today we're going to have... Uh, Jay and Justin from Cryptids of the Corn. I thought you were going to say Jay and Silent Bob. No, that would be cool. That would be, right? Well, there would only be one person talking, though. So. Oh, but that would be boring. <laughs> 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 but uh, so they're going from Cryptids of the Corn. And, and uh, like I said, they've got a bunch of cool stories. And they share with us some. Uh, Justin's actually a biologist. No way. So he adds a little bit of the. Uh, scientific side to stuff, but you're gonna you're gonna love the chat we had. And then tomorrow, on our regular episode of Hillbilly Horror Stories, we have a, about an hour and fifteen minute conversation with Mark Muncy. He's an acclaimed author, best selling author. He's going to be at CryptidCon. He's going to be one of the guest speakers Sunday morning, the first guest speaker at CryptidCon. And when you hear him, you will know why he's the guest speaker. That's what he does. Yeah, he's he, awesome. He is a fantastic storyteller. Absolutely fantastic. So I could have, and I told him this on the uh, on the interview, we could have went for probably another hour and a half and oh, I would wow. have been happy. But he had a, a hurricane that was barreling down on him and he had literally, literally had to uh, get some stuff set up mm-hmm. so they would be okay during the hurricane. So we had to get off. I think it ended up uh, not being as bad as they thought. I think they said it, they downgraded it or it lost strength or something. Yeah, and I, and, I, and it's a good thing because yeah. they've had enough down in that area yeah. of Florida. So. Yeah, I agree. All right, Tracy. So we're at the time of year when the shopping malls become extremely full of shoppers. And that was the situation on December 23rd 1985, in the city of Concord, California. Alrighty. Now, this was at the Sun Valley Mall, okay? Mm-hmm. There were hundreds of people shopping, and several people were there to see Santa inside the mall. Yay! I love seeing Santa at the mall. It was approximately 8.30 p.m. when disaster struck. Aww. A loud explosion that shook the entire neighborhood as a small private plane crashed into the skylight of the Sun Valley Mall near the Macy's department no. store. Oh, my gosh. Now, just a moment before, it was obviously, as you would imagine, a festive atmosphere yeah. all throughout the mall. 
People inside were unaware the disaster was looming right overhead. So the plane struck at, I said about 8.30, but it tra- the plane struck at exactly 8.35. It tore a 50-foot hole into the roof wow. and caused a devastating explosion. The skylight burst into thousands of pieces of glass and metal that rained down upon all the people that were inside in that main middle part of the mall, which is actually where the Santa display was. So where this happened was probably at the worst place that it could have happened in the mall. It was the most busy part. That's awful. The plane's wreckage scattered throughout the atrium there, and dripping fuel set the whole place ablaze. Lord have mercy. When the plane crashed down, it busted the pipes that fed into the sprinkler system. So what ended up happening is you had water spewing everywhere, but it really wasn't helping to uh, put out the fire. It wouldn't go on where it needed to go. Then the power went out. So the only, it was completely dark. It was 830, except for the flames Mm -hmm. were the only light inside the mall. In a matter of seconds, that festive atmosphere we spoke of turned into chaos. People were running around in a panic, many screaming in agony as they suffered burns. And in some cases, having burned skin hanging off of their body. Good grief. We have to hear this right before Christmas. What happened before Christmas, so. Oh, no. Makes it topical. Ken Earn and her three-year-old son were in line to see Santa Claus when the plane hit the mall. Fragments of the skylight fell on both of them. She felt herself burning as she wrapped her son in a coat and then took off. Somehow, she was able to find a side door that actually led them to safety, and both survived. Good. Not everyone was so lucky, though. Next to her in line was another mother. A mother by the name of On Own and her 14-month-old son, Alexander Own. They were both hit by roof debris. In this case, the mother survived, but her 14-month-old son passed away. Wow. And he was not the only one. Victims were actually everywhere. Some of the shoppers and the employees actually worked at helping the people that were uh, uh, on fire and and damaged and burned by gathering clothing from the stores, and they used used it to make makeshift stretchers, Mm -hmm. tied them together. And then they would actually take the uh, people and took them to the decorative fountain and actually put them in the fountain with the water and stuff there to try to kind of ease the pain as much as they actually could. Now, the fire department actually got there pretty quick because when the sprinkler system was damaged, it automatically put in a call to them. But when the police and paramedics showed up, they had no idea what they were coming to. They just knew there was something that caused the sprinkler system to go off. Wow. The Sears employees actually got all of the ice that they had in the store to actually help with the, the victims, which I'm not sure why the Sears had ice. Hmm, unless they had uh, like a... Um, a little deli area or a, a fountain, you know, area. You know what I'm yeah, talking well, about? Like yeah. Woolworths and stuff used to have, like, where you could get drinks and mm-hmm. stuff like that. That's the only thing I can figure out. But anyways, they were actually trying to help by getting all the ice that they had in the location. The Christmas-themed area actually went up in a ball of flames, and uh, the event was massive, as you could imagine. All this smoke and fire everywhere. Every ambulance in the county was called. The injured were transferred to 10 different hospitals. And the final toll was 77 injured and 10 dead. Oh, wonder Santa made it out. 
I don't know. Gosh, what a horrible thing to happen. Many of the injured went through several surgeries. And aside from having disfiguring injuries from burns, many also suffered psychological trauma. Oh, I as can, you imagine. can imagine. Yeah. One of the victims, a, gentleman by the, or a young lady by the name of Pam Stanford, she died the following day from the injuries she, she uh, sustained. She was 22 years old, and it was actually burnt over 80% of her body. Oh, my gosh. She was there at the mall to pick up her wedding rings. <gasps> oh. So what exactly happened? Well, it was a very foggy day. James Graham was a pilot of the small plane. He had two other passengers with him. Now, Graham had almost 50 years of experience flying planes. Mm -hmm. He actually flew in the war, World War II. And yeah. So, and so, I mean, he's somebody who knew exactly what he was doing. Now, this was a little small twin-engine Beechcraft 95A55 Baron aircraft. Now, Graham was trying to land at the Buchanan Airfield. He was having to do so strictly by instruments because he couldn't see the runway, which really wasn't that unusual. Mm -hmm. They had a procedure set up for it. On that night, he was given permission to land by the Buchanan Airfield. They were not equipped, though, with radar, so they could only provide a landing clearance. At 8.33, he was supposed to land on a straightaway runway called Romeo 19. They had two runways. They had one that was straightaway, and then they had one that kind of hooked off that was smaller and kind of made a little a bend and then kind of a, a, a straightaway. Mm -hmm. So they gave him clearance to, to land on the longer straightaway. When he was doing the landing by instruments, they actually instruct them to fly at an altitude of 320 feet and then fly at that altitude, stay there until you can actually see the runway. Yeah. Okay. But somehow they overshot the runway. So in that case, they were told to pass it by, fly around and try again. The problem was when he overshot it and he went back up, he actually went straight up to about 2,500 feet. And then he was into some clouds when he went up 2,500 feet in the clouds and nobody could see him anymore. And they think he might've become disoriented because when he emerged from the clouds, he descended rather quickly and then crashed right into the mall. The NTSB came in there and did an investigation and uh, they listed it as number one, pilot error, number two, disorientation, and number three, adverse wedding effect or uh, weather effects. All right, Tracy, we got to take a quick sponsor break, and then I'll tell you what happened after this. All right. The Sun Valley Mall crash actually infuriated the people of the community. You see, in the years prior, they heard there had been calls from the neighborhood for the airport to be shut down because, basically, it was out of place there. You know, there's, you've got this big-ass community, mm -hmm. and you got this little small airport right there, and they were afraid something like this would happen. The problem was that the airport was actually built in 1943. And at that time, the only thing around was some marshes and fields and walnut groves. So yeah, there was no houses and stuff. Yeah, there was no neighborhoods or malls or anything there. But 42 years later, there were subdivisions, shopping centers, and even high-rises now. So you could even imagine... High-rises could be a major problem to small planes just trying to land at the airport. Definitely. Well, several of these high-rises that we speak of, 
They actually bordered the airport and were among the flight path of planes. But that seems like that's a problem on the city. Yeah. Maybe you don't build a building there when the airport's been there way before you were. Maybe you don't well, no, put stuff in the path of the, no, that's right. or the planes. It just sounds like a disaster waiting to happen for sure. Well, like I said, this is something that the city feared would happen, or at least the people of the city. Now, at one point, it was proposed that the Pacific Coast Airline which was actually large commercial planes, like mm-hmm. 727s oh, and stuff. It was proposed that they would actually land there and be a part of the airport. Um, but that really was kind of shot down because of the fog levels. And uh, and the, I guess the fog levels there happened several months out of the year. Okay. For whatever reason. So they said, nah, it was kind of a dangerous venture, so they decided to do that. Now, this is the, what I found odd, considering... That this thing happened and you start hearing about people were afraid this was going to happen. Oddly enough, this wasn't the first accident. 18 months earlier, another small plane crashed into a car storage facility on the exact same street that the mall's on. I mean, come on, people. Well, the other thing is, and in that, that deal, in that crash, six people were killed. No kidding. Yes. So what I always think is odd about that situation is, you know, you've got the crash, and I understand anything can happen. But when you're dealing with a with a, when a, an airport that's nothing but smaller planes, which mm-hmm. are individuals, I'm not, I'm not taking anything against these people. But most of the time, when you hear about a plane crash, it's usually a small private plane. No, you're right. And you know because you, you know who knows how I know people go through training and they go through years and hours of flying but who knows how experienced these people really are Mm -hmm. and then like in this case i think i don't i think this guy was in his 70s i mean no offense i don't want a guy in his 70s playing yeah i mean that's i know that sounds rude and that sounds ageist and all that Mm -hmm. stuff but that's not you know i'm just saying the reality of people passing away in their 70s of heart conditions and stuff but like on a on a major aircraft you've got all these other precautions you usually have a co-pilot or You've got something that can somebody that can step in, or you've you know. I mean, how, how hard was it for them to move that runway somewhere else? Well, I mean, they could have moved it. I mean, I don't think it'd been hard. You just can't pick it up, and move it. You just put it somewhere. Somewhere, else. But, yeah. You know, they probably felt like we were here before you. you well, yeah, but you can't use that thinking process once. Yeah, they were there before you, but but they're now they're still there, so it still needed to be rectified. So, well, anyway, the, the let's go back. So the airport stayed functioning, but not for commercial airlines. So they didn't they didn't get what they wanted. They, they avoided having the commercial airlines. Oh, thank gosh for that. This is odd. I thought too. Um, the Sun Valley Mall opened back up after obviously renovations that had to be done. In the end, though, the city officials were found responsible for the accident. Hmm. So it's like, okay. In the end, it wasn't the airport. It was responsible. It was the city. Probably for building all that stuff, you know, that close to it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and and it's a catch-22. I would say if there's an airport there, maybe you don't build the city right here. You know, you were talking about how how hard would it be to move the thing. Well, Mm -hmm. how hard would it have been not to build a city right there? Well, I mean, that's very true. And I understand it's California and there's not as much space available and you got to take what you can get, but you got to know you're running a risk. 
So there were actually multiple lawsuits filed by victims, their families, and shop owners. The complaint said that the shopping mall should not have been built so close to the airport. Over 100 claimants were actually paid $11.5 million after several years of trials. And that would be the equivalent of $31 million today. Hmm. Still not enough. No. Not for and your, I'm doing the math on that. Ones. I mean, you had 75 or 80, uh, I can't remember the number, like 72 people injured, you had 10 people killed. Mm -hmm. That's 80-some people, but yet they only paid out, there was only 100 claimants? Yeah. I mean, even if every family mm -hmm. had somebody claim, and then you got shop owners, there probably should have been more than 100, I well, would have thought. Would, yeah, of course. Because there's people that I'm sure that didn't get injured that was probably trying to sue. Yeah. Just because they witnessed it or mm -hmm. the, the trauma from seeing it or whatever. Mm -hmm. All right. So I always like to give you um, a little fact. So I told you that the Sun Valley Mall was open for business right after the renovations. But the stores that were not damaged by the fire were open the very next day. You have got to be kidding no. me. No. How disrespectful. That's what I felt like, too. It's disrespectful. And I mean, I understand from a standpoint of, you know, oh, well, but this store wasn't damaged, so it's not like there's a but, safety thing, but there's more to it than just safety sometimes. It, it's respect. Well, it is dis very disrespectful. But how do you know? There, I mean, there could have been damage to the building that they didn't find. I mean, it was the day after, for Pete's sake. Right. Wow. So, well, anyways. People suck. So that's the story of the Sun Valley. Very, very sad. Plane crash. Very sad. All right, let's go ahead and listen to uh, Justin and Jay from Cryptids of the Corn. And remember, if you like what you hear, tune into their podcast, but also come see us all at CryptidCon. Yeah. Hey, guys, I'm excited to uh, to have these two gentlemen on. We're missing one today because the lovely Emily is not with you guys, but I've got Justin and Jay on from Cryptids of the Corn. And it's a fantastic podcast, conversational style so if you like what we do, you're going to like what they do. It's good, fun, uh, a podcast to listen to, and a very informative. I enjoy it. Jay, I'm glad to have you on. Justin, glad to have you on, and uh, welcome aboard. Thank you very much for having us, and thank you for the kind words. I'm blushing if you, people at home can't <laughs> see. Uh, but yeah, a very. Uh, so I was, like you said, you know, very. We try to be informative with this stuff. Uh, I was a biologist for a while. Uh, specifically a field biologist dealing with fish and salamanders. So we try to bring in as much uh, science in with the cryptid and everything like that as we can. But yeah. And, I, and I'm just a little bit crazy and I just kind of bring another creative element to the science side. So there's a fine balance between us both. Yeah. Do we it, agree on that makes for a good That makes for a good balance though. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. We hardly agree, but. In a fun way. In a fun way. We never argue about nothing. It's just like, all right, this is what I think. And or at the end, we probably do agree more than more than we disagree, but we definitely have way different paths of getting there. It's kind of the best way to put it. Yeah. So let me let me ask you this. I'll start with you, Justin. If someone hasn't listened to the show before, what are they going to get? I know, I know you touched on it a little bit there, but how would you describe your show to someone that's that's never heard of your show and they say, well, what, you do a podcast, what's it about? How would you describe your show? So we do big and small cryptids, you know, everything from the, you know, the Milford shrooms, which are almost an unknown cryptid, 
all the way up to, you know, like uh, the Minerva monster. Uh, we do like scientific topics, like the big questions about Bigfoot. We have foot morphology coming out soon, like phenotypes and genotypes with Sasquatch and Dogman. Uh, we'd like to say, I guess our kind of our tag phrase is where we're scientific and magical thinking combined. Okay, that's fair enough. Joe, you got anything you want to add to that? Um, well, Justin definitely brings a scientific element um, to this field that I, I don't think really much people at all bring in, in this whole uh, subject in general when it comes to cryptids. And it's very entertaining and he connects a lot of dots that you don't really think of. And those dots are, you know, biological things occurring naturally in nature already. And those are some things you don't really think about. And he kind of shows that, and he says this a lot on the show, that nature's weirder already than uh, cryptids are. Like that people come up, these things that people think they see or stories they hear, nature's already got it covered in a much weirder way already. And it's documented. And he brings that stuff to the light that, you know, it's kind of hidden and not talked about much in the world. So an example for that is, or we just uh, recently had the Mongolian deathworm episode come out soon. Everybody knows Mongolian deathworms like this freak of nature, shooting acid, fire truck, red, doesn't make any, shooting electricity. Uh, all those exist in nature. We specifically dive into the velvet worm, which is from Japan and coastal China. Uh, so really close to the right area, a lot smaller, but these things are fire truck red, most species. Uh, they're highly toxic. And if anybody knows anything about the Mongolian deathworm, it said if you touch it, you will die. Uh, it's in, you know almost instant death. So these velvet worms are very toxic, fire truck red, and they shoot venom and their intestines out of their mouth to wrap up prey and scare away predators. So there's already a creature in the area, it's a little smaller, that exists that can do most of the, the freaky things the Mongolian deathworm can do. And that's a creature, like, that's a real life animal that most people do not know about. It fits that almost that niche, and then you know electric eels and stuff like that can produce electricity. And there's uh, there's other species of fish that can produce an electrical shock. Electric eels is famous because it can put out a lot. You know, and it's funny you said that because I was just looking at something the other day talking about the oarfish, talking about yes. how a lot of the uh, descriptions back in the 14s, 15s, 1600s of sea serpents actually fit the oarfish, which does uh, they usually live so far below the depths uh that where people don't see them there it's rare when they see them but they they uh wash up on the shore every once in a while and then when they're seeing people are like oh my goodness what is that the reality is it's an everyday creature that we just don't get to see so if you did see one and you were out to sea uh you probably might think that was a sea serpent or something because it's not something you've you've ever seen before exactly uh i have a sea serpent story that's real quick if you want me to tell you Absolutely. I seen a sea serpent and uh, this is one of my one of my favorite encounters I think I've had. Uh I was I was a shark fisher. I used to go shark fishing about once a year off of Daytona. Uh my aunt and uncle live maybe 20 minutes from the beach, so it was just a nice easy thing. So I'd fish at night cuz I don't know if you ever been to Daytona shores, it's popular. Mm -hmm. uh, so the only way you can really fish the beach is at night. So and it's during turtle season when I was down there. So turtles are coming up laying eggs and stuff like that. So turtle uh, anybody doesn't know, basically these guys in trucks will drive up and down the beach about every half hour to mark total nest for, you know, they'll put a fence around them and everything, keep people out of them. Uh, so they stop by and every time they pass, they talk to me, you know, every other fisherman on the beach and be like, Hey, you know, you see a turtle come out. And 
I think I'd seen two that in that week that come out with, you know, a hundred yards of me. Cause I put these giant spotlights out into the ocean so I can see if I do get a shark, I want to be able to see it. So I don't get bitten. Um, so I had these big spotlights facing out. It's probably one 30 in the morning off to my right. This wave starts coming in over this. So there's a sandbar that's out past, you know, that most people can't swim to this weird wave comes over the sandbar and I'm looking at it and I'm like, ah, oh, that's freaky looking, but you know, it's the ocean. You're going to have a weird wave every once in a while. Uh, and then the weird wave broke to its right. And so it was going straight in front of me. I'm like, okay, waves don't uh, patrol the beach like that. This, as it got in front of my lights, this giant black slimy undulating body starts coming in and out of the water. And then it gets about, it's probably only 50 yards in front of me. As it gets in front of me, you just see this giant eye and it's staring at me. And then it goes past me. And then it cuts back out into the ocean. I start freaking out because I'm like, I just seen a sea serpent. I think I was 18 at this time. I start, yeah, I'm turtle patrol. I call my dad. Oh, and then right after I called my dad, helicopters started flying over the beach. So now I'm like, I'm getting taken away by the government. I'm just going on all these <laughs> rabbit holes. I seen a sea serpent and the government's about to disappear me. Uh, turtle patrol comes and I know these guys. I, like I said, I've been fishing there for probably a week. And I, and I tell them what I see. And they were nice enough to explain to me what I seen was probably a pilot whale. But anybody doesn't know at home, it's a 20, 25 foot long orca whale cousin. Uh, and they are jet black. They have no coloring markings on them. So in the black night in the ocean, they just look like a big black slimy thing. And they come into shore to feed on the same sharks I was fishing for. So he was he was checking the basically this pool I was fishing for the same thing I was going for. So that's what I like, like that's my example of you can have an encounter with something that is truly not seen very often and alien to you. And it can be an animal, which, you know, a lot of them aren't, but that's just kind of my sea serpent story. But that makes sense. And, and that's probably 95% of the time, if not even higher, that's probably what's being seen by almost anybody who has some type of encounter. I think we kind of discuss a figure a lot on the show there's about 3,000 Sasquatch sightings in the continental U.S., so that's in Canada, you know. Uh, throw away, I personally, we we talk about throwing away about 80% of them as misidentification. Because, you know, somebody's driving down, like a lot of Bigfoot sightings are like, somebody's driving down the road, they look in the woods and there's something big and hairy there. And they're in Tennessee or they're in northern Michigan where there's black bear galore. You know, it's probably a black bear you're driving past. And then a lot of these people are looking for Bigfoot. Then another 10% is probably just straight hoaxes or, you know, just people falsifying stuff. But that still leads you with 10% of sightings, so 300 sightings a year of credible witnesses that seen something that was not another animal. It was not a bear. It was, you know, they seen shoulders. It was eight foot tall staring at them. Uh, and that's still impressive. Like, I worked with a guy that did big cat research. I didn't work. I, I didn't work with him doing big cat research. He was another biologist when we talked. Right. Um. And they had collared mountain lions, so mountain lions with transducer collars, so you can track them, that they couldn't find. They had these cats with pingers, and these cats were so smart, they could never catch them to, to dart them again to get the collar back off. Because uh, they fool me once kind of deal, you know. You get seen, you get shot once, and I ain't never letting those guys get close to me again. So you think that's kind of the same mentality as a Bigfoot? If they don't want to be found, they're not going to be found. 
Yeah, so let's say they're just as smart as cats. I I personally believe they're a little smarter. I don't know. What do you think, Jay? I think they're smarter. I think they're way more intelligent. Cats are not dumb, but Mm -mm. I think Bigfoot are very, very intelligent. But let's say they are just as smart as big cats. You know, uh, if a big cat does not want you to find it, you will not find it. Uh, There's videos of people literally walking on top of mountain lions. Just because that cat will not blow with cover and let you walk right past. I've been around a mountain lion twice in my life. And the one time I got, I think it was within 15 feet before I knew it was there. And it wasn't going to hurt me enough. And it was, I'd walked up on it. And it was, you know, so now if you have something that's that intelligent or a little more, that's just as shy of people. We have mountain lion populations that butt up right next to giant towns that people never see mountain lions, but we know they're there. So you can have these creatures that are existing on the edge of civilization, not just out in the middle, you know, the Canadian wilderness out in, you know, bum nowhere. You can have them existing next to populated areas and getting a foot cast every once in a while. Or, you know, maybe a dumpster gets knocked over. They're not like deer that just walk all over the freeway on a regular basis. Yeah. (laughs) Wonder what this is. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I had my, I had a Sasquatch encounter, but that's a long story, but. It's he let us see him. I fully believe that it was that kind of thing. And that's you hear a lot of these good, credible sightings. That's what it seems happens. Mm-hmm. I really think it's really hard to for a human to sneak up on one. We're not very quiet. We're smelly. We're loud. We're, you know, we're, it's just I don't care if you're wearing camo. Everything you have on you stinks of not nature. Right. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Probably got a little bit of uh, McDonald's going on from the Egg McMuffin you ate on the way there. Or <laughs> yeah. You got a little bit of a little bit of cool water you sprayed on so you can smell good out in the woods in case you run into <laughs> a, a young lady that you know is never going to happen. But you got to be safe, you know, better safe than sorry. Right. So you, you can't just drop that. Well, I've got a Sasquatch account. If it's a long story, we'll move on. Uh, obviously. Obviously, this is a cryptid show that you guys do, and we brought you mm-hmm. on for cryptid stories. So uh, we'll pretend I didn't know that, and I'll just ask, hey, Justin, do you happen to have a Sasquatch encounter you could talk about? <laughs> so I did. Um, and so, like I said, I was a biologist, a field biologist. Uh, I would not believe in Bigfoot if I didn't have my own encounter. And I say that all the time on the show. Uh, that That's why I think, like, I worked in a lab with people I literally searched for endangered species that we knew were there just from genetic or from eDNA and we couldn't find them. So let alone, you know, something that is more intelligent, that's, you know, so I worked with a whole lab of people that looked for endangered species that didn't believe in Bigfoot. And, but yeah, so we are from Hardin County, Ohio. I share this all, yeah, I'll share that. It'll be about as geologically located as you'll get <laughs> anybody listening. Cause people try to get it out of me before. Um, Hardin County, Ohio, Northwest Ohio is, we don't have forest. We have trees. Uh, we, we've been pretty worked over by farming since about 1813. Uh, so we just, we don't have very much wilderness left. Um, so our woods that we lived on butted up with three other families. Uh, it's about the biggest woods in our county. So it's, it's a large plot of land. We had chickens. I bred fancy chickens. This is always something that people laugh at me for. I bred like competitive chickens. So some of these birds were seven, six, you know, 800 bucks a bird. Uh, and then I had $2 chickens too. Don't get me wrong. I had plenty of egg chickens and meat chickens, but I had some chickens that were really high end. Um, so this would be 2010 and 2011. It happened over two years of kind of activity 
until the sighting took place. Uh, but the first year, we had stuff getting around, moved around the farm. I have three biological siblings and two adopted siblings. So a very active farm. All, everybody in 4-H, everybody in FFA, everybody's doing, you know, everybody has their own projects. Uh, we had like stuff like buckets and wood and stuff get moved around, stuck on the fence. And it was weird because we were arguing with each other, saying, you know, why are you making life harder? <laughs> uh, and then we had the giant feed bin that kept getting left open. And my dad basically, we had so many animals, uh, we'd buy food by the pallet for the animals, you know, once a month or once every other month, depending on the, the animal. So these feed bins had four slots in them and they each fit a pallet of feed. So these are not, you know, the door on it, only me and my old, my, I'm the oldest kid, but me and my second oldest brother could lift it up by ourselves. Everybody else had to have help because the lid was so heavy. Uh, but that kept getting left open. And when you leave it open, you know, rats, mice, stuff getting it, and it gets nasty. Horses specifically can get very sick from uh, rat pee and rats pee right where they eat. So if you're getting in there eating, you know, it'll make your horse very sick. Um, so that kind of happened over the first year. The big thing that happened that year was I worked at McDonald's. It was the first year I could drive uh, and I was a closer. So our McDonald's locally closed at 11. It's 4th of July weekend. I get off work. We stayed at, we had a camper up at a lake by us about a half hour away. My whole family was already up there. I get off and it's, so it's probably 11, 1130, something like that. And our driveway, I guess one thing I did forget was almost a half mile long. We had the longest driveway in Hardin County. So if you can find that on Google Earth, there you go, guys. Uh, not our property anymore. Um, so you couldn't see it. You couldn't see our house on the road. And you couldn't see any of our neighbors. We were back in the thick of this woods. Um, so I start driving home. I get to the house and our house was like a big U. So the kitchen and the living room, the kitchen and the living room are on ends of the U. And then the rest of the house is behind it. The kitchen and the living room are all glass that face into the woods. Um, so I come in, we have three dogs at the time, Sonny, he's about 120 pound Labradoodle, Bailey, like a 40 pound Beagle and Clarice, which she's still alive. This dog's 18 years old. She's in the other room. Uh, she's two pound Yorkie poo. Hmm. So I get home and I try to let them out to go to the bathroom and they won't go out. Uh, they just, you know, they, it was, it was obviously weird hindsight looking back. But, you know, then it was just like, ah, oh, what are you guys doing? They wouldn't even come into the kitchen. They'd stand in the doorway. So I'm like, all right, whatever. So I go into the house and I start walking to the living room. And these dogs are like glued on me, which isn't weird for Bailey and Clarice because they're a little bit lap dogs. But Sonny, uh, he'd actually defended my mom. He bit a guy because the guy tried to grab my mom. Uh, so he's not a scared dog. This is our farm dog would go out and run off the coyotes and stuff. But he's like on top of me. I sit on the couch and he tries to get on top of me, too. I'm like, no, what are you doing? Like, he's never, like, he didn't do that. My brother has a uh, muscular dystrophy and he was kind of, he would, Sonny was a service dog for me. He let Luke balance on him and stuff like that. So this dog didn't act like that. You know, it, it wasn't in his nature. So that Swedish. was what we were really starting to get. Yeah. And he just wasn't that kind of dog. Uh, way off once it says 4th of July weekend, once again, I think it's like the third, but it's Friday night. I hear, I lay down on the couch. I hear, Boom, boom, boom. And I'm just like, all right, somebody has fire. You know, it's way off. Somebody just lighting off fireworks. You know, everybody's lighting off fireworks. We are in a county that doesn't allow fireworks. And everybody lights off fireworks. Uh, and then about 10, 15 minutes later, again, boom, 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 a little closer. 
then again, every, you know, 10, 15 minutes, whatever. And then when it's about halfway through the woods, I'm like, all right, uh, my best friend, Nick lives not with the, on that woods, but lives down the road. He'll go, he goes in that woods sometimes. So I call him and they're like, no, we're in Pennsylvania. I'm like, okay. So one of the older couples that share the woods with us must have grandkids over or something for 4th of July weekend. So I still am not thinking too much about it. And then it gets really close, like boom, boom, boom. I'm like, all right, they're like right outside. Like they're in, they're in our section of the woods now. They're in the piece that we own. That's a little weird. And then the corner of our yard had, so we have 10 acres of pasture before you get to the house from the woods. And we own 15 acres of woods. Uh, there's a creek that runs through there, everything. So on the corner where the woods meets the pasture, there's this giant old tree. Boom, boom, boom on that. Sounds like somebody's beating it with a sledgehammer. And now I'm panicked. And what's really freaking me out is Sonny is whimpering. He's not barking. And this is a dog, like I said, he's not, she hasn't shown any fear yet in his whole life. And so he's freaking me out. Then about another five minutes pass on our big metal barn, you hear boom, boom, boom. Horses break out of the path. They break out of their stall and start running around the pasture. And I'm shaking so bad. And there's guns in the next room next to me, but I'm in an all glass room. I don't want to stand up and let whatever's out there see what I, you know, see where I am. Right. About another 10 minutes pass and I'm sweating. And I'm out in tears. There's a, my brother had a project car like 15 feet from the front door. Boom, boom, boom. I'm basically crying. This thing's only 15 feet from the front door, whoever it is, whatever it is. Uh, right then and there, my aunt and uncle who were living with us at the time come blaring down the driveway, playing music. I come out, I'm in tears. The second they pull up and I can see headlights. They just take me. We come to the house I live in now, which was my grandparents' house. Uh, and then our buddy, his dad was, he was an MP. He was a retired SWAT and retired detective. And he comes out, he checks out the property with dad and me the next morning. And he tells my dad, like, well, whoever it was, uh, was had a sledgehammer. And he was hitting stuff around your property. And we go to the barn where he's specifically looking at. And the dad's like, why do you think it's a sledgehammer? It's like, well, because it's, you know, eight foot off the ground the marks where he was hitting the barn and he's like, and he hit it four times. And I'm like, no, he only hit it three times. I heard it. I believe me, it's burnt in my head. It was always three times. And he's like, no, he hit it four times. And dad's like, well, how do you know he hit it four times? It's like, there's four indents up there. So four indents. Oh. Uh, yeah. So later on, I realized it was knuckle marks. He was hitting the same spot three times but leaving four indents because there was four indents on the porch too, uh, right where he hit it. And it literally looked like you were hitting this thing with a hammer, but you'd had to hit it four times. And I, I know it was only three times. So throughout that whole year with there's more small stuff happens. That's the last of the big thing that year, uh, you know, stuff getting moved, feed going missing, stuff like that. Then about October, it stops just like nothing. Next spring in May, we immediately start having more grain go missing. The stacks of stuff got much larger. Uh, so like they would involve car hoods and tires all being stacked in random corners of the fence uh, on the pasture. It was super weird. And we had to clean this stuff up. And at this <laughs> point, we are 100% sure it's somebody coming on our property messing with us. We have a we're a college town. The college kids and the town people don't get along. So we're 100% sure it's a college kid that's coming on there screwing with us. Dad found other things that made him think it was a man. It's like stuff being like doors being opened and stuff like that, and the, like the work sheds and stuff. We have probably, you know, six chicken coops, two work sheds, the big barn. So 
it was weird, getting really, really weird. Uh, and then I started having my really expensive chickens go missing. And the only way that, so they, their fence is electrified. We never had one problem with them. The only way you could get into it is if you open the door and grab a chicken. So then it's all, you know, every bird is 700 bucks. So everyone that goes missing is, you know, a, a big chunk of money. So we went to the Amish and got this dog named Lucy. She was a red healer. I don't know if anybody at home has ever had a red healer. They are real monsters. But this dog was specifically trained and bred to patrol and understand what a farm animal was and understand what an animal that didn't belong in the farm was. She would sleep all day. And at night, she would just roam the property line. And she like a wolf. She literally just paced back and forth. Uh, one day she came up covered in blood and we couldn't find a scratch on her. And she had killed two coyotes that night. Uh, she was just a nasty, good, she had purpose-driven dog, but not a pet. That was a really, you know, uh, so she would tree something. If, it's a, if a raccoon ran into the forest, back into the forest, she wouldn't pursue it. But if it stayed in that tree line, she'd bark all night until you came down and knocked it out of the tree. Uh, I guess real quick, so I did forget. We ran, we worked horses at night. So we, my dad had installed stadium lights because you work horses at night so they don't overheat. Uh, so me and my mom were horse showmans. So we had that. And then we had horse trails in the woods. So these big cuts into the woods where we could go and run, ride our horses through the woods and everything. So one night though, Lucy treed something. She's just going mad. And so me and Luke go get a baseball bat and a golf club out of the garage. I'm 17 at this point, so Luke's 15. And we start walking down to where she's got some treat. And she's right by one of those stadium lights, but standing in front of the floor where there are horse trails going into the woods. So there's this big black hole in the woods. And we get about 30 feet away from Lucy, and I say, Luke, stop. But he had already seen it. These giant green-yellow eyes, you know, staring down at Lucy, probably, you know, three, four inches apart. And you can just see the shape of something massive. And it's just blinking real slow. And Lucy's standing right up at it barking. And it blinks real slow. And on the third blink, it's looking right at me and Luke. And I, I, I remember like, Luke, don't, don't run, don't turn your back. Cause it, you know, and that lasted for maybe four footsteps until we got back to the house in tears. My dad was done. This is the night my dad was done because this thing had tortured us for two years now. Uh, so he gets a gun and he walks down, right? Lucy's still standing in the same spot. Lucy never moved. And me and Luke go on the front porch. So we outside so we can hear it. Dad's like, you know, you mother after you come outside right now, or you come out of the woods right now. You've scared my kids. You've tortured us. We're done with this. I'm going to start shooting in the woods on the count of three. And he's still thinking nobody, it's, a, it's a man, right? hundred uh, percent. He's yeah. hundred percent. He, he knows this is a college kid that's screwing with us and he's done with it. Uh, and yeah, so my dad has been, was pushed to the limit. Um, Cause this is pretty much at this point we were having like before we got the dog with da daily stuff happening on the property. So somebody's devoting hours a week to screwing with us. Um, so dad stands there, counts three, obviously nobody steps out. So he aims to the top of the tree line just to scare whoever's in there. So he shoots. It sounds instantly like a bison is ripping through the woods, only 10 feet back from him. whatever it was, just backed up a little bit. It was still standing right there. And it just rips through how dad kind of falls backwards and runs up to the house. And he called my mom into the kitchen with me and Luke. He's like, just, it's not a man. Whatever that was, it was not a man. And we really didn't talk about it. For years, we my mom ended up getting cancer that year, so we ended up getting rid of that property. 
Uh, just the farm is just too much to keep up with. My mom's fine though. So everybody knows I always add that Good. in my mom's in remission, but she had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is 50% fate, you know, fatality. So we just gave up on the, you know, it just wasn't worth the time. Uh, but yeah, fast forward, we started watching stuff like finding Bigfoot and we realized we weren't crazy. The other people seen it. Uh, we went out that next day though and measured it was about eight foot tall, seven and a half, eight foot tall. That's the quick and dirty, but. That's amazing. That's a, that's a really good story. It's a, a lot of details that you don't hear in a lot of your typical situations because this was ongoing. So that makes it yeah. a, a little different story. Jay, you guys, as we're recording this, this is November 8th. November 9th is actually the one year anniversary of your guys' first episode. So congratulations yes, on it making is. it a year. Oh, thank you. What, what's been the most rewarding part of doing this podcast for you? Um, I think getting out and actually meeting people and actually getting to interact with the people that listen to our show. Um, cause I'm definitely new to this community. I've always had an interest in Bigfoot and I've always believed in Bigfoot and cryptids in general, but I never really dug into it or, you know, uh, pursued that interest. I was just, whenever that stuff would pop up, I was interested. I'd read about it and things like that. But once we started doing this and digging into it more, I realized the world's a lot bigger or this, you know, in this field is so much bigger than I even imagined. And the people that are involved in it are just so nice and warm and welcoming and just easy to talk to. And that's probably been the most rewarding part out of all of this. It's just meeting these people, getting involved in this community and learning more about it. And that's, that's been my favorite about all this. And then also just hearing the things that comes out of Justin's brain <laughs> that's been the probably the most entertaining of all of this because that's what started all this is him asking me if i believed in bigfoot um i was actually at work and i was bartending and he's one of our i'm a heavy patron yes <laughs> so, <laughs> so he calls me over one day and just asks if i believe in bigfoot and i'm oh yeah of course i do and then he starts talking about it and then we uh formed a club where we could talk about bigfoot and things like that and then that just opened up this realm of where we started the podcast it, that birthed the podcast so just that whole journey has been uh i guess it's been rewarding and it's been fun that's the main part and it's like we talk about our show he's he brings a lot of science and um, knowledge to the subject that just doesn't normally get brought up and i like to learn and i like to learn new things and this is just it's always something new it's always something new and i've always been interested in nature and things like that so it's a good combo of all that You've complimented me a lot. So I'm going to compliment you real quick. Okay. <laughs> Jay, I have the problem with sometimes using words that I don't explain what they mean. Cause I like, I come from the bio, you know, biology field and stuff like yeah. that. So I, I can kind of space over stuff and Jay's perfect for like, Oh no, no, no. Say what that means. Cause I don't know what it, he's like, I don't know what that means. You know, so yeah. everybody at home doesn't know what that means. And it's Jay asks questions that may go over my head. Cause I just don't think about it being a, you know, it's not a question in my head. So it's always been this perfect dynamic of helping me slow down enough to actually explain something without buzzing over it and making it sound just too big. Well, that's kind of like Tracy. She'll start telling the story and she'll be, she'll just start throwing names out there that, and not even thinking about the fact that nobody knows who that is. Like it'd be a family member. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. I was talking to Josh the other day and I'm like, you might want to point out that Josh is your son. Otherwise 
they just don't not everybody knows who all, right. all of our family members are just because you know who they are but uh now that's cool to have somebody to to ring you in a little bit and uh <laughs> and make it you know and then, and that's part of the dynamic of the show and then plus uh Emily's on there adds another dynamic because you guys Justin are our uh, husband and wife and so yep. that adds that dynamic to it we got to and it's gonna be a kind of a shameless plug but as this episode comes out it'll be Sunday uh and the following weekend we will uh both podcast here will be at CryptidCon in Lexington and we got a chance Ooh. to meet you and Emily last year right after you guys had just started you only had a uh, couple of episodes out when we got to talk yeah, to I mean, you I think maybe two or three they were lovely but horrible i I think number our first episode was just so rough because you know nobody you don't know what you're doing no you just just everybody's like that yeah uh but yeah so we'd actually seen you at dinner first i complimented tracy's hair before i'd ever seen a picture of you guys we were listening to you guys on the way down and everything and it's just like i never seen a picture i think we were we were at the that restaurant attached to the hotel oh yeah yeah yeah. guys i think we're in line uh right behind us and i just looked and i'm like Oh, I love your hair. Cause I used to dye my hair all kinds of awesome colors. So I just was, I just remember that. And then we seen you the next day at the event. It was just like, oh gosh. And you, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. And it was, it was funny because like you said, we were, this was the night before the convention. They had like the little party or VIP party or all that stuff to go to. And all we did was basically was setting up that night. And we tried to go to the big restaurant they got there. And it was so jam-packed, we had to just go to, like, the little bar area that had, you know, you could order food, and that's where we saw you guys at. Yeah. Uh, so it was really cool. And then what's his name? Uh, Wild Bill was down there, too. Oh, from, yeah. Uh, Mountain Monsters. And when he's yep. there, when he's anywhere around, he is Wild Bill 100% of the time, whether he's at a show. <laughs> so he he's one of these people that he kind of commands the attention in the room, so, like, everybody yeah. gravitates towards him. So <laughs> Everybody, yeah. Every, you... We we just hung out with Wild Bill. I think what was it three um, weekends ago? About a month ago, yeah. The whole weekend we were at a conference. We were at a, a charity event with him. Um, you will not have trouble finding Wild Bill. <laughs> no, if if it's, if he's within a quarter mile, you'll know he's there. Yeah, there. The, the first time we were at CryptidCon, which goes back to 2019. They had the table right next to ours. So it was kind of like we were at the corner. So they were on one side of the wall and then we were with the, you had a door and then we were on the other side. So we kind of made the connecting tables and they were having such a good time over there that it was just like, you know, most people there at the convention, they just sit there and people come up and that's that, but they were all laughing and hooting and hollering and oh, joking. Yeah. And it was, it was fun. It made it fun. Yeah. We tried to, so one thing I, I'll tell your listeners, uh, we make or we have somebody make cryptid figurines for us and we hide them all conference weekend. They're free. Just like look on our Facebook or Instagram, or it's Facebook, look on our Facebook and we'll give you a hint where they're hidden. And it's like we have the, I'm looking at them right now. We have the Oklahoma octopus, cross wheel monster, Mothman, you know, if 26 of them, we're going to hide all weekend. Oh, nice. Because uh, we just love it because then, uh, you know, people find it and you're like, oh, you found a cryptid at Crypticon. Uh, that but makes yeah, sense. Go cryptid hunting or bigfoot hunting. Yeah, there's there's plenty of bigfoots in that group, but mm-hmm. you know we have every the frogman, you know, flatwoods monster, you know, all the everybody's favorites, you know. Well, I hope you're responsible in hiding these. I don't want to bur- bite into a burger and 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 break my tooth on a mothman. So no, you're not. They're almost always not hiding like, them in uh, food, right? No, <laughs> uh, a lot of things we do is 
So hint, hint, wink, wink is friends and like there are other, other vendors and speakers and stuff. We'll be like, well, come hang out somewhere hillbillies go will be the hint. And they got to ask you for it or, you know, something like that, you know, it just. Oh, nice. So that way, nice. like, our, you know, we get our friends in the game, too. Well, now, if you don't bring us one to, to hide out, then we're going to feel like we just totally got snubbed. So just so you know, <laughs> you'll be lucky if you only get one. You may have two <laughs> or three all weekend to hide. He, or likes, to have. he likes to force things upon people. Well, I'm, don't give one to don't give one to the Ohio guys. They'll be there too because you you're probably not going to want it after wherever they had it. So it's probably, <laughs> that'll probably be one that just needs to be unrecovered for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> they can have that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, it's been a pleasure having you on. Tell everybody again how they can keep up with the show and how they can keep up with you on social media. So, yep, Facebook, Instagram are our two major ones. We're on all of them, but, you know, Facebook media or Facebook and Instagram are our two biggest ones that we're active on. Uh, I run the Facebook, Emily runs the Instagram. So keep that in mind when you're talk, talking to somebody who you're talking to. We just launched our website. Yep, we have a full re- website. It's running good. If there's a problem, let me know. But I think I got it working good. Um, but, Which is cryptidthecorn.com. Yep. Um, but we're found, you can listen to the podcast anywhere you listen to shows. Uh, anywhere you hear Hillbilly Horror Stories or anywhere podcasts are available, we're available. Uh, we do a Patreon. Uh, that's just extra shows, depending on your tier. We also do trivia nights and we do movie nights. Uh, and they love that, you know, because trivia nights, they get a win a prize and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much where you can find us and what you can look out for for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, like I said, at CryptidCon, you guys are one of the, uh, uh, you know, just like us, you're one of the quote unquote celebrities. I use that term loosely because when you got some people there like Cliff and and uh, so many others there, I, I don't I, I don't put myself or Tracy in that same category, but we're just flattered that somebody considers us a, a celebrity enough to think that people want to come see us. And you guys are in that same realm. So you're right there. Uh, at, uh, I think there's 15 that they've got on hand and uh, us for Ohio and you guys are three of the 15. So pretty cool yeah that's it's an odd feeling we're very honored and blessed yeah thank you again for all the help you gave us in the beginning well again i don't think i gave you much help you guys have done all this on your own you've got a a good podcast that people enjoy and uh, that's that's 95 percent of it so oh thank you thank you (laughs) yeah that's all we can say is thank you all right guys i appreciate it and uh, looking forward to seeing you in the next week or so Sounds good. Bye. We always do that. We always say bye. Okay. Don't do that anymore. That's an old. (laughs) That's what my my old co-host, how she ended every show on uh, warning you would be offended. She ended everyone by doing that. (laughs) Oh, did she? Yep. Yeah, I guess we ripped it. Just cut that out. (laughs) All right, guys. We love you and we'll see we'll see all three of you here. Will Emily be at uh, CryptoCon? Awesome. We'll We'll look forward to seeing all three of you. Catch you then. Yep. Bye. Bye. All right, guys, that wraps it up for us this week. I hope you enjoyed the extra long episode and uh, we'll see you guys tomorrow night. Bye guys.